guys wore me out. Wore me out. Whew. Oh, boy. Well, we talked about last week that we're starting this new series, Living Above the Fray. It's fairly lofty, but what we see in this Living Above the Fray is we're looking at the, the, the life of Daniel and, and really the book of Daniel, and we're going to, to look at the five challenges that Daniel faced. And last week, we talked about the challenge of identity, knowing who we are in Christ. Knowing that is so important to who we are, because if we're, if we're identitalists, where do we go? Right? You guys ever felt that way? Identitalists. And so this week, though, we're going to be talking about, this is an interesting one. I, I, I'm excited to, for the, the verses, but it's the challenge of idolatry. Nobody got excited when I said the challenge of idolatry. Wow. This is going to be a long day. <laughs> so we're going to be looking at chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3 today. But let's think about what does idolatry mean to most of us? What does it mean to most of us? If we're super spiritual, you Bible scholars out there, you are remembering the Israelites and the golden calf, right? You're, you, you know, you're, you're sitting there, I remember the golden calf. I don't have a golden calf. That's good. If you're not so spiritual, you might be thinking of Indiana Jones and all the things that he's searching after. All the little golden images and all of that. And I won't tell you which way I went, what I thought of first. But how many of you even know what idolatry is? Pastor, do not raise your hand. <laughs> Got to tease him a little bit. Let me give you a quick introduction to what it is. Encyclopedia Britannica I actually really appreciated theirs, their definition. It says, the worship of someone or something other than God as though it were God. They're pretty specific in that, aren't they? Now I'm going to give you the biblical version. Out of Colossians 3.5, just so you have a definition to what that looks like. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impartiality, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. All of that falls into the form of idolatry. Sure goes beyond a little golden calf, doesn't it? Goes a lot more to that. I heard a study, Heidi was telling me about it. Did you know, and you'll see where this plays in, but that people are having to go to physical therapy right now for the amount of time that they spend on their phone. Now, I want to help you out. Why? Because maybe we'll, we'll see a little something here. I caught myself doing this the other day, so this is where I really kind of thought it was interesting. How do we look at our phones? <laughs> what posture is this, Pastor? It's a bowed posture, isn't it? People are literally having to go to physical therapy to retrain their necks and their backs to have enough strength to hold their heads up. That is not a lie. There is actually a study of people out there who have to do that because they have bowed their head to another idol. Ooh, how many thought that was thought of that before? 
the posture that they stood upon to look at their phone. We've doled our senses to the sins of idolatry, and we've done it through compartmentalizing our lives. Because we have compartmentalized everything. It's a skill when you go into the workforce, we get all excited about. You can compartmentalize. How do you deal with people? I compartmentalize. Everything has its space, time, and part. And we only pull it out each time we need it. And we've done the same thing with God, putting him on the same level as everything else in our life. Wow. Like no other time in your lives are we being pulled in so many different directions. We've lost the direction of the main thing. We've added so many more things to focus on to become the idol. You bow your head to your phone, but you won't bow your knees and worship. Come on, I know there's somebody else out there today that was fighting during worship whether they should get down on their knees before the King of Kings this morning. Come on, I've had this conversation with some of you. You'll bow that head to that phone anytime it rings. Anytime it goes off. But when the king calls, you won't bow your knees. I would say the sin of idolatry is rampant. It's rampant in our lives right now. It's no wonder, guys, with all that's going on, all of the different gods that we placed forth, we're no better than the Greeks who had hundreds upon hundreds of gods. We have the same in our lives. It ain't no wonder we all feel like we got, we're a bunch of ADHD kids, right? Because we can't figure out which direction we're going. Because we've lost sight of the main thing. Hmm. But let me tell you, God wants to help you with your ADHD today. Because he gives one very clear direction. Starts everything else with that. In Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other God but me. Oh, I like that. that. That's where it all starts. So today we're going to look at the three of the most famous Bible characters in the entire Bible. Our friends, Shadrach, I'm going to get in trouble if it's my wife doesn't like when I do that because we talked about this, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I should call them by their, their, uh, their Hebrew names, right? Is that what you said? That's what you told me? But we're, not, we're going to look at their lives today and how they lived out Exodus 20, verse 3. We're going to look at it and see how their lives reflected God's life into others. So, we're going to read and then we're going to pray. We're going to look at Daniel 3, verses 1 through 7, because it's the start of our whole story. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. So, if, if you're a note taker, see me afterwards. I will gladly give you all of these scriptures because we're going to look at a ton of scripture today because the Bible says a lot about it. 
So King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. And then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. And so all these officials came and stood before the statue, the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then he, a herald shouted, People of all races and nations and tongues, listen to the king's command. And when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue of the king. Nebuchadnezzar had set up. That's pretty, that's actually a really relevant scripture. Anybody want to let their phone ring right now? See what that musical tone sounds like? I'm picking on the phone a little bit. But when I read that scripture, and it says it's set up 90 feet tall, and the people were to bow before it. Now, many of you know, without any giving me a hard time, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. And if you ever walk into Dallas, into the AT&T Stadium, they have the largest jumbotrons in any stadium there is, well over 90 feet tall, hanging from the ceiling. And when you're in there, you're just looking up kind of in a bowed sense of awe. Don't have to have a 90-foot statue of Nebuchadnezzar, do we? No. No. Well, let's pray. Father, we just praise you. We thank you, God, that your word is clear. It's crystal clear that we're to have no other gods before you. Lord, we invite you into this service. Lord, I pray that not a word that is spoken is mine, Father, but it's your Holy Spirit. I say, come, Holy Spirit, and have your way in here. Have your way in this place. Open our hearts, Lord, to see the things that keep us from you. Lord, the things that we bow our hearts to that aren't you. Lord, I just thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well... Y'all know how many points do I preach in a sermon? You would be wrong today. Five. Feeling pretty smart today. Feeling pretty smart today. And at that, there are five R's. So I'm going to give you the five R's to combating idolatry in your life. Are you guys ready for it? Are you ready? These are the five R's that will help you to, to, to fight idolatry in your life. It's first off, you must recognize who you serve. You must have a resolve to who you are serving. Expect moments of refining. Expect the results. And expect there to be redemption. Our first point is we have, to be aware, we have to be aware and recognize anything, anything that would have us bow before 
anyone or anything other than God. Just like the Encyclopedia Britannica said, we have to know the things that would cause us to bow. How many of you thought about the way your posture was today with your phone? Anybody think about their posture with their phone before I brought that up today? If we don't recognize the things that we're bowing to, how do we know? Let me give you just a few things here that might be getting the posture of bowing in our lives that we have put as idols. I'm, I've beat up on phones pretty bad today, but anything with that screen. Guys, I about got hit the other day by some dude on his phone who literally had his head bowed down and his head in his phone while he's driving. Come on. Our sports and our activities, how many of us are bowing before those? We're putting those ahead of the kingdom of God. Our jobs, they don't just consume our work time anymore. How many of you come home and all you can talk about is your job? When they call, you answer. When they email, you answer. You give every little bit of all you are. It's consuming because it's become more important than God. When I was much younger, I remember working for a godly company. And they decided to give me a cell phone. Do you remember that, Heidi? And I'll never forget the moment that it hit me so hard that I knew that things had to change. As I was sitting in church on a Sunday morning, I was the overseer of a building project. And they called me during service. And guess who answered? It was me. I was bowing to my phone, to my job, to everything. And here I was in my one designated time of the week to bow before the king. And I couldn't even bow before the king because I was so consumed. Busyness. Oh, that might hurt some of your feelings. You're so consumed with being busy all the time. You're continue, moving, going to and from that you forgot the king. It might even hurt some of your feelings even a little bit more because some of you are being busy in the name of the Lord. And yet you didn't pick up your Bible this morning and spend just a few minutes with him. Ouch. Ouch, I've been there. I've been there. Someone might stone me here, some of you. Some of you put your family before the king. That's a hurtful one. Because, guys, they're his already. They're already his. When our family becomes our idol, that's a really hard one to admit. Because everything filters through them then. Instead of through the king. Popularity. How many of you like to be liked? I like to be liked. But how many of us will put our, our willingness to be liked over the king? We'll just lose a little bit of our identity in him to be liked by him. Pride. About your pride. Pride's tough. I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, I felt like 
God was telling me I needed to get on my knees before him. And this person said to me, but I was afraid what everybody else would think. <laughs> Could you imagine what David, what would have happened if David had thought, what do they think of me of dancing around in the streets and for the Lord's presence? Hmm. Here we are, we're constantly bowing before these things and we don't even recognize it. If we miss the recognized peace, we've allowed God already to be displaced in your life. We're called to be vigilant as Christians. We're called to be reflective as Christians so that God doesn't become displaced because we were unaware. The biggest fault of any country in a war is they get attacked because they were no longer aware and they were unvigilant. Remember I talked about last week the lion. Where does the lion do? He says The Bible says that Satan goes back and forth like a roaring lion. He, he, he goes back and forth. Why does he go back and forth? Does anybody remember why I said he goes back and forth? He's looking for the place to jump in. He's looking for the weak spot, the spot you're unaware of. We find in Romans what happens when we fail to recognize God and when we put something other than him as God in our lives. Romans 1 and 28, boy, Paul is tough here. He says, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking to let them do things that they should never be done. Their lives become full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, Envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, pride, proud, and boastful. They even invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, and they break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to, deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them. When we fail to recognize, we let it all in. The lion comes roaring in, and he brings all of these things with us, and it just continues to go down the path. And then what happens is we encourage others to do it too, because we don't want to be left on our own, do we? See, we need to be like our heroes today. And they recognized that they were asked, being asked to bow before someone other than God the Creator because they were aware of the king's decree and they knew that others would recognize them. So what's our first R we have to know to fight idolatry? we got to recognize. Our second R is we have to be confident in our resolve. You know, there's a reason why there's, people have credos and they have mottos and things, because they have to have something to get a hold of. They have to be confident. Well, let's listen to what our heroes say today in Daniel 3, 16 through 18. We're going to go through the whole scripture, so if you catch on, we're, we're telling the story a little bit at a time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. I love this, the resolve. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. That's where most of us stop. We like that part, right? That's, that's the part we like. But here's the real resolve. 
But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. You have to be faithful. You must be faithful to God. Back to the Exodus 20. There is no other God. That is our credo. That is our manifesto, if you will. That there are no other gods before him. God is not your backup plan. He's the only plan. He has to be our only plan. You must be determined to be faithful no matter the consequences. You notice that in their resolve. They didn't just stop it. Our God will rescue us. They said, even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. We won't serve anyone else. Because the results don't always tell the whole story even when it does. Hmm. We can't give ourselves, guys, a jumping off point, an if, what if. What if? That's the favorite thing in business. They like to give you scenarios. What if? Scenario one. What if? Scenario two. There's one scenario, one jumping off point, and it's all about God. And I want you to hear this. Understand this. And I love this in their resolve, and this should be in yours that God does not always rescue us or take us from the situation, but sometimes he allows us to go through it to grow our faith. That's a hard one for most of us. Because then we're looking for the backup plan. We're looking for the other God to save us. There's only one. Mm. James 1 and 3 says, You know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So what Deb Curry didn't tell you was I was here Friday night at the garage sale. And I saw a different Steve. A Steve who said, I don't know if we're going to make our goal. Like a serious, I don't know if we're going to make our goal. And I just said to him quietly, let's just trust the Lord. And I went home and I said, okay, God, you come through. But even if you don't, we know that you're good. That's our resolve. And Steve's faith had the opportunity to grow in that peace. So you have to be confident in God. You must know who he is. How can we trust and have faith if you don't know him? I talked about this last week. This is where the identity piece plays in. If you don't know who God is, if you don't know who you are in God, how do you trust him? Is that right? Well, how do we do that? We spend time with him. That's the biggest fault of any Christian walking this earth today. We refuse to spend time with him. We can give our phone two hours. Anybody have the Apple phone? Yeah, yeah. Does anybody get the report every Sunday that tells you what your screen time is? I refuse to look at that now. It destroys me every week. I'd like to tell you it's all because I use it for church stuff. That's what it is. That's what I tell everybody. That's not true. But... We have to spend time with him. We have to read his word. Yeah. We honestly talk about praying. We're good at that as Christians, aren't we? We're good at praying, I think, sometimes. Oh, God, help us. God, save me. God, do this. God, do that. God, do that. How many of you spent some time listening lately? Well, that's been a journey for me to learn to listen. I told you all, God's had this unique way of helping Kelly listen lately. It's been about 1 a.m., 
and I don't particularly care for the timing that he has, that I never, ever have regretted the message that came. Because I took the time to listen. And we have. We talked about this this morning. And we have to take the time to not just listen, but we have to learn from his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, the forgotten God in this whole equation. The teacher. The one we're to learn from. The living embodiment of God right here on this earth who's flowing constantly to and from and all over. Mm. See, we have to be confident whether God intervenes in your way that he is worth the trial and the testing. 1 Peter 4, 1 and 3 says that, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer for Two, for if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You, don't, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. You will be anxious to do the will of the Lord. You have had enough in the past of evil things and godless, that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and their lust, their feasting, their drunkenness, and their wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. See, we have to be confident that the eternal reward is worth everything else that we'll go through. How many of you know that? Come on, how many of you know that the eternal reward that we will accept is worth every bit of what happens here today? It is. And if you haven't resolved that in your mind, you will find other places to bow your knees. We have to know that we're going to have refining moments. Daniel, back to our story Daniel 3, 19 and through 23 says, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers, and they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the flaming flames. Get comfortable, church. You're going to have moments of refining fire. Come on. Some of us, we act like we don't, we just can't get it. Oh, there's just a little fire going on. Somebody bring the extinguisher. Come on, guys we got to get comfortable with it. It says that the fire was seven times hotter. Oh, it's, it's going to get hot. It's going to get hot. If you thought this life would not have testing and trials, I hate to tell you, you were wrong. You are wrong. No one gets out without going through something that tests their faith. None of us do. Refining our faith, opportunities are a promise, not an if. It's a when. And I want you to hear this. These trials, this is 1 Peter again, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith, so notice that, so when, not if, 
So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Without opportunities to refine our faith, how do we see the genuineness of it? Refining moments provide genuine opportunities to show who God is. Now, I want you to notice something here. How Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went in to the fire. It says they were fully clothed in their turbans. In their every, they didn't get to get ready to put on the fire suit. They just got tossed in. That's kind of how life is, isn't it? Sometimes we just get tossed in. The unexpected happens. The unexpected happens. But yet they weren't unprepared for it. We get tied up and we get bound up and we get tossed into the fire. We feel powerless, don't we? Sometimes it's just nothing we can do, no matter how bad we want to be, but we're tied by the constraints of this world. But let me tell you, refining fires are hot. And most people, just like these soldiers that were beside them, when they enter the flames, they fail. They fall. Yet God shows up in the flames. Well, that's the exciting part. Right in the middle of the refining fire, God shows up in the flames. He does not allow us to be alone in a time of refining. He shows up right beside us. Here's our fourth R. You can be assured of the result. I love results. I'm a result-driven guy. And here's what verses 25 through 27 say. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I, I, th- I probably did not pay that enough justice. Could you imagine what he's, how he sounded? Look! <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I see four men unbound. That's important. Unbound and walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. And then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. And then the high officers, the officials, the governors, the advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Now there's some important parts here, guys. They were still in the fire. You were st- they didn't get to get out of the fire. But notice how they came out unbound. When God stepped in, the chains fell off. So some of you are walking around here chained up right now. It's time to let, let the Savior stand beside you and let the chains fall off. Hmm. <laughs> See, just like Nebuchadnezzar saw, God shows up anytime you're in the fire. God still allowed there to be a furnace. I need you to hear that. There's still going to be furnaces in your life. Crap is still going to happen. Let's, let's get a tumbleized on you guys a little bit. Crap will happen. But God shows up right in the middle of it all. When we allow God into the furnace of our lives, he takes the things that bind us off. See, they still stood the fire, but they stood unbound in that moment. Unbound. 
We are free because of his presence in the fire, not because of anything else we did, not because of the fire. We're free because of his presence. Did a little searching and no other God that I could find promises to stand beside the trial or walk through the fire with their people. Oh, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? And you can promise, here's the results. Here's the result piece. When God steps in, the result is always the same. The fire cannot touch you. It can't. And though they had to go through the fire, they came out more refined and pure. That's always the promise. And here's the the other result that I thought was so awesome. The result is that others are drawn to the Father because of the fire that you went through. Look at old Nebuchadnezzar. Old Nebuchadnezzar is pretty proud of himself at the start of the story, isn't he? Building his image, his furnace, 90 feet tall. And because of three little Israelite boys. He doesn't just call out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, children of the Most High God. He recognizes because the result is always that God shows up and shows through to those who who see us. Now, there's some promises about God showing up in the fire. Doing a quick search here. God shows up in fire 34 times in the Bible. That's just quick search. I'm sure there's more. But 34 times. Exodus 3 and 2 says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses said in amazement, Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. See, the fire was there. But it didn't burn up. His promise is always the same. Every time he will stand with you in the fire. And he will walk you out in his way because he's sovereign. Finally, redemption. Redemption becomes the proclamation. Daniel 3 and 29. This is what Nebuchadnezzar says. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Come on. There is no other. That's a simple proclamation, and it sums it all up. No other God. Boy, sounds very similar to Exodus, doesn't it? Have no other God before me. And Nebuchadnezzar claims that, oh, there is no other God. See, all the previous steps can only bring about one result, and that's redemption. No other God can rescue you and walk through with you. No other God is alive and is loving his people enough to rescue them. No other God stepped sent their son to earth to die for your sins. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Brian, if you want to come forward and and play, but I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to listen to this scripture. I don't have it listed, so I'm really serious about closing your eyes and listen to this. This is out of Isaiah. Isaiah 46, 3 through 13. And this is the Lord speaking. So listen, this is him speaking to you right now. Listen to me, descendants of Jacob, all who remain in Israel. I have cared for you since you were born. Yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you and I will care for you. I will carry you along and I will save you. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? 
Some people pour out their silver and their gold and they hire a craftsman to make a god from it. And then they bow down and they worship it. They carry it around on their shoulders up to their ears. And when they set it down, it stays there. It can't even move. And when someone prays to it, there is no answer. It can't rescue anyone from trouble. Don't forget this. Keep it in mind. Remember this, you guilty ones. Remember the things I have done in the past. For I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. For I do whatever I wish. I will call a swift bird of prey from the east, a leader from the distant land to come and do my bidding. I have said what I would do and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn people. Fool are so far from doing right, for I am ready to set things right, not in the distant future, but right now. I am ready to save Jerusalem and show my glory to Israel. Oh, that's a powerful word. Those are straight out of the, the God's mouth. Come on, let the, I hope that speak, spoke to you today. He wants nobody before him. He is the first, he's the last, he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the up, he's the down, and everything in between. And he's either that or he's nothing in your life. That's how he says it has to be in Exodus 20, that there will be no one else but him. So how do we combat this challenge of idolatry in our lives, guys? One last time recognize any situation or anything that displaces God in our life. We resolve and stay confident in God and His promise. We know that refining is a promise. But that we'll come out on the other side. We can rest assured that the result, God will come through and rule the day now and always. And redemption is the proclamation of the Lord over your life. Now, I'm going to do something really different. I talked a lot about bowing today. I do one thing and one thing only today. The altars are open. Who will you bow your knee before today? This is your time, not mine. This is your opportunity to walk out Exodus 23. He says, there will be no other God before me. It's either bow or don't. This is your choice. So I'm going to open them up. If you need to leave, leave. It's that simple. If you need to leave, leave. But for me, for my house, we're going to go bow our knees. I'd encourage you to do the same. Wherever you're at, if you need an altar, if you need to lay on the flat on your face, if you need to do stand up and praise, you go ahead. But for me and my house...